Let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Father, uh, we turn to the Scriptures today to hear from You, to learn from You, to know Your ways better, and to adjust ourselves to You, to understand ourselves and our lives in the light of eternal, unchanging truth, and particularly where those desires and preferences and reasonings of, of fallen man, of which we are a part, run counter to what You've revealed. Uh, Lord, let me be a, a fitting and useful instrument of yours today and give all those who hear discernment to weigh it all by your word and the grace to hold on to what is good. Uh, Lord, we, we pray in the name of the living word, Jesus. Amen. Well, the history of our church, we've, uh, we've maintained a few aspects of, uh, of kind of a traditional church calendar, the Christian church. You know, there are churches where where they do every single Sunday is laid out. You can look at it. You can look at what's coming up eight months from now or nine months from now by the, by the book of prayer or by, by the, uh, the church calendar. Every Sunday has a scripture passage that's, that's predetermined. Uh, every Sunday has a, uh, a prayers that should be recited and songs that should be sung. We're not like that. Uh, we believe there should be more room for the needs of the season and the needs of the moment. Uh, the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. But we do see a great advantage in emphasizing the historicity. In other words, this really happened in history. Uh, of emphasizing the historicity of the birth and the death and the resurrection of Christ by emphasizing these things in the church calendar. Jesus really did die on a particular day that in history. Uh, and we we emphasize that with Good Friday. We, you know, we have a good well, Palm Sunday, Good Friday. You know, five days later, and we that he we emphasize that. And he really did rise from the dead on a particular first day of the week. And we we emphasize that with with what we call Resurrection Sunday. When that Sunday, when that Sunday after Passover comes around. I don't think I could preach anything else but the resurrection. <laughs> that's, no, that's no time for principles on raising children or anything like that. This is, it has to be the resurrection. And, and doing it at certain times of year, you know, just emphasizes that this happened. I've said it many, many times before, but I'll say, I'll say it again. Christianity is not a philosophy of life. It is not loveism. It is not be a nice guyism. It is a statement that something happened. God moved in human history to accomplish our salvation. That's it's Christian, and Christianity is simply a response to that, response to what God has done. And in the same way, just as as Christmas, you know, that is something that happens in the church calendar. It's uh, it, you know, when you're of certain age, when you're young. It like it never gets here, right? It's it just takes forever to get here, and then you reach another certain age, and it barrels down on us like a freight train is here before you know it. But in both cases, it's something that happens. It comes. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with the weight if you're a certain age. You have to deal with it coming if if you're if you're older. And in the same way, the birth of Jesus Christ eventually in some way to think of it, and inevitably, in another way to think of it, it came at a particular time, in a particular place, 
ready or not, there it is, and you have to deal with it. So we, we observe in our church the Advent season, which, con- which consists of the four Sundays before Christmas Day. Um, and we do that because the incarnation of God in the man Jesus is the greatest miracle that has ever occurred in my thinking because it involves the very nature of God himself it's a miracle it's a miracle that involves God in his essence God became one of us in Jesus Christ and it's not only that it's not only the greatest miracle it's the greatest event that has ever occurred in human history it Literally, you know, in, our, in much of the world, and certainly in our part, it divides history in two, into before and after. And so we find that the, the incarnation, well worth four Sundays of attention, four Sundays of teaching, four Sundays of worship, and it begins next week. Uh, Advent tends, appropriately, Uh, to a lot of uh, wonder and joy you know it's joyful and triumphant and my mind of late and really I I have to say my burden as I prayerfully consider how your pastor ought to teach you today uh, it has consisted of things it's dwelt on things that are not inherently joyful Last week I took my time before we to talk about how God's people suffer unjustly. And that particular last I don't think I could have preached anything else. And today I want to stay on a related topic before the advent season begins because it really is joyful and triumphant. It is about it is uh, joyful, wonderful. But the topic that I want to continue with, it it isn't pleasant, it isn't fun, but it is needful. And it's needful in this congregation, in this church family. If you've been a part of this church for any time, any length of time, you've gotten to know people in the church at all, you can look around the sanctuary and see people who have uh, lost family members, lost dear friends relatively recently and are certainly, surely still suffering in the pains of grief. And you see others who have suffered or are suffering from significant physical ailments. Um maybe significant in their pain and suffering or significant in the prognoses or both. And if you knew people a little better, and you may or you may not, but if you knew some a little better, you'd know that there are people around you who are, are suffering great heartache. Um, relational problems in the home or an extended family or but uh there are troubles now i'm broadening beyond how god's p- 
people suffer unjustly because um, various trials covers a lot more ground than that. There, there's a strain of Christian teaching out there that says that none of these things, none of these things, not the sicknesses, not the grief, not none of these things can possibly be None of the money troubles, financial problems, job problems, family troubles, you know, extended. None of these things can be uh, possibly be God's will because God is good and God is loving and he's and he's all powerful. So if you're suffering any of these things, there's a strain of teaching that says if there's if there's if you're suffering any of these things, you must be doing something wrong. If you were doing it right, these things wouldn't be happening to you because God is good and God is just, God is kind, God is merciful, and He's all-powerful. But that's a, that's a corruption of, of real biblical teaching, of course, because it turns uh, Christian faith into a kind of rabbit's foot for staying completely healthy all the time, having plenty of money, and, and turns Christian faith into something that really is destined for a head-on collision with reality. <laughs> And a collision that's just going to, if you've got an ill-founded faith, an unbiblical kind of faith, it's going to, the faith is going to fail. Because it doesn't fit reality at all. If I'm doing it right, everything will always come up roses. I'll never get sick. My loved ones will never get sick. The bad things won't happen. I'll have plenty of money and all of that. It, it's just going to, uh, it's going to crash into reality head on. The reality is that man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward, as Job says. That's the reality. The reality is that it is pointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. That's the reality. The reality is that suffering is real, and it is painful, that's why they call it suffering. You know, it's painful. And it's inevitable. So you can see why I wanted, you know, if this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking of the needs of the so many in the congregation. And if it's not for you now, it will be at some point. You can see why I want to get this in before Advent season. Because it kind of doesn't fit the Advent season. But the reality has to be faced. And really, you know, I was thinking about this this week. The failure to account for reality is, is one of the main things why people who don't like the Christmas season don't like it. Because here's, here's what happens. They, they, there's this illusion that every family, that this time of year, you know, the time of year that starts next week, there's, a, there's an illusion that every family is perfectly happy and perfectly loving and everybody gets what they want for Christmas. Ralphie gets his Red Ryder BB gun. Natalie Wood gets her house on 34th Street. Bob Cratchit gets a big turkey and a big raise. I mean, everything comes up. George Bailey gets his $8,000. Everything works out wonderful. And the whole business, the whole feel of the thing to people who are suffering sometimes feels like a taunt to them, a mocking 
of their of the reality of their own loneliness or their own family dysfunction or their own poverty or their own suffering whatever it is but no matter the kind of suffering that anyone is going through the real the foundational christian teaching biblical teaching is that god is sovereign in it he's sovereign over it he has his own purposes for the suffering of the saints and he has his own purposes in the suffering of every saint of every person that he's called to himself through faith in Christ and i want to i want to review those purposes as a comfort to you. you know what does god have in mind in these things that have happened recently that i'm going through what is What's what are God's purposes in that? And I'm not. I'm just going to review a few. It's not all of them. I, th- you know, I could think of you. You could think of ten more probably if you know your know your Bible fairly well. But I think I'll uh, at least hit the the some of the main ones. Most of the main ones. First thing. God uses suffering to develop perseverance in our faith. James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's the English Standard Version. Steadfastness. New American Standard uses the word endurance. You know that it produces endurance. NIV uses the word perseverance. And the idea is staying power. Solid faith. A faith that's not easily shaken. And, and let, me, let me suggest a kind of a common sense observation. Suffering that develops perseverance or steadfastness, staying power, must be of a certain duration it has to go if it's going to produce endurance staying power perseverance it has to last a while it it just can't be developed in an instant it doesn't come because you're impressed with something said in a sermon you're, you're not going to hear anything from a sermon. You know, my sermons or sermons you listen to on the radio or online that's going to give you perseverance in the moment. You know, I didn't have perseverance before I heard that sermon. Now I do. It doesn't come like that. It, it doesn't come by being moved by something we see in a movie. There's only one way to develop perseverance, and that's by persevering through difficult and painful circumstances over a significant period of time muscles don't develop as a result of one rep i've heard or one set of reps or one week of sets of reps or one month of sets of reps it doesn't come like that. I, I think of the fellow who said, you know, I tried lifting weights, but they're so heavy. Well, he's not going to get to where he thinks he wants to go. 
I, I, I went to one of my, my English literature teachers when I was at Oak Ridge High School one time and, and asked her. Everybody was assigned a book to read. Everybody had to read a different book, English lit class. And I, and I went to her and asked if I could change books. Can I change books? She said, and I don't remember what the book was, but it was pure torture. I mean, every page was an eternity. It was just, it, it was, it was, and not a good, not the good eternity, not the good one. And she asked, well, why do you want to change books? I said, because I hate it. I hate it. She said, well, how far have you read? And I said, I can't remember what I said, but I said, well, like 50 pages. She said, well, you don't even, 50 pages, you don't know whether you like it or not. Read another 150 or so, then you'll know whether you like this book or, or not. So I came to her another 150 pages later, and I said, I, I still hate it. <laughs> she said, well, you're over halfway through at this point. You might as well keep on. <laughs> and let me tell you, Mrs. Mullinax was an educator. And she taught me something very valuable that really had nothing to do with that book that I don't remember at all. It was probably was horrible. <laughs> May have been. She taught me endurance, and I found it painful and tremendously beneficial, though I wouldn't know it for another five or six years. Uh, she, she taught me about endurance. And in the same way, God uses suffering to build endurance. Second, God uses suffering to develop spiritual maturity. Here's the rest of the passage. I just I cut it off kind of in mid-sentence. And let stead in James, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. NIV there uses the word mature, that you might be mature. And you see that chain of causation, don't you? Suffering leads to steadfastness. Steadfastness leads to spiritual maturity. Steadfastness of faith leads to spiritual maturity. Hebrews 5.8 is an amazing verse. It's really a mysterious verse that teaches that Jesus Christ learned to be obedient to God through the experience in the school of suffering. Here's the verse. Hebrews 5.8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's, even, that's hard to think about. That might be something we could consider in the incarnation. Jesus Christ learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You think, well, why did he have to learn obedience at all? He's, no, he's sinless. If the... So let's just not think about how that works, why that works that way, but think about this. If the sinless Son of God had to learn obedience, if he had to become spiritually mature, and suffering was what God used to develop his spiritual maturity, how much more do we who are sinners... <laughs> need to learn obedience, become spiritually mature, also in the school of suffering. Psalm 119, part of 167. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. 
Boy, we'd rather it say, before I heard that good sermon, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Wouldn't that be better? (laughs) But it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. A few verses later, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. That's not memorizing. That's getting inside. Learning to obey. Third, God uses suffering to prove the genuine nature of our faith. It's no test of our faith when everything is peachy and everything is a celebration and you're living your left your best life now. You know, that's not that's not hard. But it's when sadness floods your soul pours in on you it's it's when you can't sleep at three in the morning three in the morning you're up because you have a unanswered prayer and and you really have unanswerable questions and the idea is when it's like that when when the bad when you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and the bad thing happened anyway or or the good thing didn't come or the the grief is fresh Do, do you nevertheless at that time do you cry out to your father who is in heaven Psalm 22 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. That's the time. That's Psalm 22, first couple of verses. When you find out who you are, do you still cry out to God? That's when you find out when your faith is real or not. Skip down a few verses. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. You, you see the cross there, and you should. It's a prophetic psalm. It's a messianic psalm, rather. Uh, prophecy of Jesus on the cross. But it's also the experience of God's people when they suffer, isn't it? My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Well, what is faith? if the faith is real, how does it, what does it do in that situation? Well, here's some of the rest of the psalm. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. My life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You've rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I'll praise you. You I mean, that's... 
that's the that's the school of suffering and it confirms faith you know do you still cry out to god do you still put your hope in god do you still believe that he's a deliverer and he will for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction the affliction of the afflicted he's not hidden his face from him, but he's heard when he cried to him from you comes my praise in the great congregation my vows i will perform before those who fear him the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied those who seek him shall praise the lord may your hearts live forever all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the lord he rules over the nations and you hear the triumph in that it begins my god my god why have you forsaken me and it ends with God is going to prove my deliverer. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know how it's going to be, but He reigns. He's good, He's kind, He's loving, He's powerful. He accomplishes His will. That's faith proven. That's faith authenticated. Proved real. And not just something that wouldn't stand the test of that of any kind of suffering fourth god uses suffering to teach us humility you you remember paul's thorn in the flesh you remember about that he had this thorn in the flesh he could he couldn't get rid of it he prayed and he, he just he, god wouldn't relieve him of this thorn we don't know what it was really some some people think i because he complains of his eyes uh, in other places but do you remember why according to paul why god gave him this suffering that he couldn't relieve himself of or that that god didn't answer his prayer to be relieved of it here's he says so second corinthians 12 7 so to keep me from becoming conceited to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Says it twice. To keep me from being conceited, God gave me a suffering that I couldn't, that I had to live with to keep me from becoming conceited. <laughs> According to him, it's all about um, conceit prevention. And and why is it so con- why is it so important? to god that we not be conceited because the whole christian life is about god doing his work in us and through us and it's not about what we do to earn god's approval or to accomplish great things it's not it's about what god does in us and through us it's not about what we do and that requires that we well the gospel itself begins with us we have to come to god in a needy position don't we i mean the, the very opposite of the of the gospel is i've lived a good life i've done great i've accomplished great things i'm a good person you should let me into heaven that is not the gospel the gospel is i come bearing my sin that's all i've got to offer is my sin that's all I've got to offer is my problem, my moral brokenness. You have the gospel becomes uh, it, it is it is something that um, requires us to be humble. 
It's such an offense. That's why it's such an offense to human pride. We, you, you, you can't come to God conceited. And so it's, it's important. It requires that we admit our need. And real sanctification is not just the gospel, but, but it's the, the uh, outworking of the gospel in sanctification. It requires this growth in Christ's likeness. It's impossible in someone who's conceited, who's in love with his own abilities and his own talents and his own will, strength of his will, and, and all of that. When, when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about their divisions, some were calling themselves followers of Paul, they're Paulites, some were followers of Paulos. Uh, so, but Paul, he, when he's setting them straight, He's the church planter. Apollos is like the water of the teacher. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. It's like we're nothing. Why would you follow us? We're not anything. But only God who gives the growth. When do you suppose, when do you think Paul learned that he was nothing? When did he, you know, it doesn't say, but how about this? Maybe in the school of suffering. <laughs> That was given, that he's enrolled in that school of suffering so that he would not be conceited. Great 19th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that, listen to this, what Spurgeon said. He said, A soap bubble, a soap bubble has scant measure of material in it for its size. You know, a soap bubble looks big, but it's really, it's not much at all. A soap bubble has scant measure of material in it for its size, and most of us are after the same order. It is greatly for our good to be reduced to our true dimension. <laughs> it does us a lot of good to pop and see that we're just a little drop of soap and water. Is good for Paul, and it's good for us when God allows it. And by the way, I have to say, I wonder if I would have ever had the ability to read 19th century sermons if not for Mrs. Mullinax at Oak Ridge High School. <laughs> Fifth, God uses suffering to enable us to help others in their suffering. Second Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted from God. Here's, here's Spurgeon again. If our hearts learn sympathy, they have been in a good school. He's talking about the school of suffering. If our hearts learn sympathy, we have been in a good school, though our teacher may have used the rod most heavily and taught us by many a smart. And that's smart, that's old school. Like, boy, that's smarts. <laughs> Ouch. How is it that our Lord can comfort us in our suffering, in our afflictions? Well, what would Hebrews, what do you think Hebrews says? He's been tempted, he's been tested, he's suffered. He knows suffering. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who is in every who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin so you mean how we handle suffering is so important that others think about this how we do it how we endure through it as believers is so important that God may have brought other Christians into suffering so that they can come along and help us in our time of suffering. I mean, that's really what it says. It's so important. God may have put someone else through suffering to prepare them to help us. Here's another corollary. We ourselves may endure suffering sometimes to prepare us to help somebody else. Boy, could that be so? You know, that it's so important that some suffering is just to help us, prepare us to help others, or, or someone else to prepare them to help us? Well, the answer seems to be yes. Now, for most of you, that, that's five things. And uh, there are more, there are more. It, but for most of you, that's nothing new. You've heard all of that before. It's good to be reminded from time to time, especially when you're in a season of suffering. You know, you need to remember these and be told them again, reminded of them. But I want to add one more thing here at the end as I close. And this, in my thinking, I wonder, I don't think I've ever taught this before, this particular thing. And it's this. None of those purposes for suffering that I've described are automatic. They don't happen automatically. Um, God uses suffering to develop perseverance in our faith, but some faiths will fail under the weight of suffering. Some people lose faith under the weight of suffering. I think it's the most common objection to the gospel that I ever really face. How can God be good when I've had these bad things happen to me? How can God be good and how, how can it be all good and all powerful when other people have endured such, you know, have been, had such awful things happen to them? It didn't lead to their faith. Uh, God uses suffering to prove the genuine nature of our faith. But some faiths are not genuine. And you can tell that they're not genuine because they fold under the pressure of suffering, under the weight of suffering. Psalm 22, they stop with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They stop right there. They don't get to the end of the psalm. God will, God will come through. In the end, God will come through. They don't get to that point. In fact, they don't even get to my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They say, he must not be real. This all must be a fantasy. How often people see suffering as a test of God's goodness, Right? How often we imagine it's a test for God, but 
the way it really is, it's a test of us. The experience of suffering is universal. Everybody's going to do it. The experience of eternal life through faith in Christ is not universal. God uses suffering to develop spiritual maturity. That was one of them. God uses suffering to develop spiritual maturity, to teach us obedience. But it isn't automatic. Some people just get mad at God. Some people rebel all the more against God. It's only the submissive spirit that redeems the experience of suffering. Here's Proverbs. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. You know what that means? Suffering doesn't do any good for some people. It's not automatic. That It's not automatic that they have their faith in God increase, that it stands the test, that it proves genuine, that they develop steadfastness and spiritual maturity. Some, it just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Proverbs 27, 22, Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. You know, that, that image is like the, you know, the, uh, at the drugstore, crushing, crushing the pills you know, with a mortar and pestle, grinding it down. Sounds a lot like uh, uh, being sifted like wheat. <laughs> but he says, the Proverbs says, some, it doesn't matter how much they're crushed. It doesn't matter. Some people can't have the foolishness ground out of them. Doesn't do any good at all. It's just, what is it? It's just suffering. It's just suffering. No redeeming purposes, apparently, whatsoever. No, no redeeming result. God uses suffering to prepare us to help others in their, in their suffering. But that isn't automatic either. For some, they just get, what happened? They just get bitter. And they find enjoyment because they have suffered so much. There are some people that have suffered so much. The only thing that makes them feel a little bit better is that others suffer too. <laughs> suffer like they have. See if they get a taste. They don't, it doesn't transform that they want to help others suffering because they've suffered in the same way. So what's, what makes it different? The magic ingredient for all these, God's purposes in suffering to come to fruition, the magic ingredient is faith. It's faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. It's, it's faith in the gospel that saves us. It's faith in the goodness and love and power of God. It's faith. It's faith that's willing to entrust itself to a loving and good God whose ways are higher than our ways lots of times. We don't understand why suffering is necessary. We don't understand why God didn't answer the prayer how we, how we asked Him to. We don't understand why the bad thing has happened. But in the end, we don't have to understand. 
We don't have to. That's not a requirement. God can be trusted, body and soul. He can be trusted at the graveside. He can be trusted, entrusted with our last breath of suffering because faith tells us that the next breath will be in paradise. That's, that's what makes that's what redeems suffering, faith in the Lord. So believe and be saved. Believe and make sure that the sufferings of this present time are temporary. And make sure by your faith that they are, whatever it is, whatever you're going through, whatever you've gone through, whatever's coming for you that is suffering, make sure by faith that it is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. Believe and let your suffering, be, through your belief, through your belief, through your faith, have a good and holy and blessed meaning and result and reward. Next week's joyful and triumphant. <laughs> this one is how to get there. How to get there. In the, through the school of suffering. Father in heaven, giver of all good gifts, grant each of us and all of us the grace to suffer well when our seasons of suffering come. Grant us greater measures of faith, faith in your essential goodness and your care, your love for us, that we might welcome the lessons of faith that can be learned only in the school of suffering, that our, our suffering would be purposeful in us, whether we know that purpose or not, and redemptive and sanctifying. May it prove our faith and deepen it to your everlasting glory and our eternal blessing. Grant the beginnings of faith to any who remain outside of Christ with no reason for hope beyond this life and no refuge or consolation in the sufferings of this life, that they might be saved both now and forever. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus, who suffered for us, that we might live abundantly and eternally. Amen.